0: The National Film Registry is a kind of Hall of Fame, a Cooperstown, for important American films of every genre. The Breakfast Club just joined Ferris Bueller's Day Off, another of John Hughes' teen anthem pictures, in the pantheon of America's best. Some people grow out of their teen movie phase, the way kids grow out of memorizing dinosaur names, but for Jason Diamond... Like Hughes, a child of the Chicago suburbs, the films resonate well beyond the hormonal roller coaster of teendom. He set out to write a Hughes biography, but the book, Searching for John Hughes, became something else altogether, as did Diamond. What is so enduring about? the films that John Hughes made?
1: Um, Well, I think especially with a movie like The Breakfast Club, um, which to me stands out uh, among the the quote-unquote teen trilogy of Hughes films that were the movies he produced, wrote, and directed, where it really kind of digs deep into the social lives of teens and kind of looks at the different cliques and uh, the different ranges of emotions, which... As anybody who was a teen, which everybody knows that when you're a teenager, you have nothing but emotions. But with movies like Ferris Bueller or Pretty in Pink, I think there's just everything from the fashion to uh, the ideas behind a, a character like Ferris Bueller just wanting to have a perfect day before he's too old to do something like that.
0: I don't know about you, but... I was so happy not to be a teenager anymore and was very happy not thinking very much about it in the years afterwards.
1: Yeah, I actually hated being a teenager. And it's kind of funny because I grew up, I I idolized teens. I wanted to be a teen when I was six and seven and eight. I saw my babysitters and all the older kids and thought, man, they're so cool. I want to be like that. And then when I became one, I was like, this is horrible. This is the worst time of my life. And when I grew up, I sort of realized that I didn't maybe have all those cinematic teen experiences that I grew up wanting to have, like all the Hughes movies kind of painted this picture of high school life being difficult, but not like terrible. And I feel like when you're a teen, it's, it, everything is terrible. And The Edge of Seventeen, which I think does a really good job of portraying how just everything looks so crazy and so insane to you and everything seems like the end of the world.
0: That's it? You don't have anything else to say to me today? What would you like me to say, Sam? Come on now, honey, you're gonna miss the bus. Have a good day. I can't believe this. They forgot my birthday. I think
1: as you get older, a movie like The Breakfast Club, for instance, you know, it's, it's been so culturally important for so long. High school health class teachers show the film as, like, a teaching tool.
0: So what was your John Hughes movie epiphany?
1: I think the first real big one was when I realized that Molly Ringwald's character in Pretty in Pink was, like, one of my first heroes. When her, I saw somebody who didn't care what anybody thought and was just effortlessly cool. And, yeah, just sort of coasted through the, the mud and mire of high school, and I remember being eight, maybe, and thinking, that's I want to be just like that.
0: I love this woman. I love this woman, and I have to tell her. And if she laughs, she laughs. It makes it- As you grew up, did these movies stay with you?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's not one of the teen movies, but I watched Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, every year around Thanksgiving. Uh, And then I watch Home Alone almost every Christmas. Anytime Ferris Bueller is on, I will sit down and watch it. Because I've been watching those movies since I was a little kid, and the characters almost seem like family to me at this point, like a weird, uh, strange suburban family. Even after I wrote this book, I'm still not sick of them, which I really thought that would be the end of it. I could never watch The Breakfast Club ever again. But if it's on right now, I would definitely sit down and watch it.
0: So you decided to write a biography of John Hughes without ever having written a biography, having no sense of where you were going with it, and not having really any way to even talk to John Hughes.
1: I thought it was a good idea. When you're in your early 20s, and you move to a place like you know New York or Los Angeles or any, any city where people are making things happen, you know you automatically just want to jump in and start making things happen yourself. And I kept hearing people say, write what you know. And I'm like, well, I know about John Hughes movies. I know a lot about those. and I know a lot about Chicago. There's never been a great John Hughes biography. Why don't I be the 24-year-old barista to leave the shackles of making espresso drinks for people and write that biography? And, you know, you can't just do that. But I thought I could. And I learned the hard way that, you know, after five years, of trying to track him down and trying to track down people who played certain characters in the movies, that it just wasn't going to happen.
0: You wrote in the book that uh, you you were looking for him, but you subconsciously started to understand why writing that book was your destiny. You wanted to live in a John Hughes film.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It sort of gave me some sort of hope. You know, my my, my childhood was pretty, there was a lot of turmoil. And I thought maybe if I just kind of stayed the course, so one day I'd end up in a nice house with a front yard and uh, a couple of kids. And that would be it. That would be my nice life. It looked like a Norman Rockwell painting or a John Hughes film.
0: In your book, what you describe as a biographer has a lot of things in common with Stalker.
1: I didn't go to his house or anything like that. I, there was a movie that came out a few years ago where these filmmakers drive from Toronto and put the script in his mailbox. You know, at least I didn't do that. The Ali Sheedy part of the book, I didn't feel like it was stalkery, but I do feel like an idiot for trying to act like I was talking with my agent, who I didn't even have an agent, uh, on my telephone. But I did, I did chase down Matthew Broderick on the street and tell him I was writing a biography on John Hughes uh, and I do feel sorry. If I ever met Matthew Broderick, I would apologize for that.
0: I quote John Lennon, I don't believe in Beatles. I just believe in me. A good point there. After all, he was the walrus. I could be the walrus. I'd still have to bum rides up from people. There was a bartender in Chicago who heard you talk about this book that you were working on who said that it sounded like the book's more about you than about John Hughes. It
1: was definitely something that duck with me enough. A couple years later, I I dwelled on it. I was like, oh, yeah, that bartender was probably right. You know, I was not writing a book because I felt like the subject was... I mean, I love this. I'm I'm obsessed with the subject, but I think at some point it became like, this is my great quest, and I think the, the whole point of writing a book kind of escaped me, and it became more of something that I felt necessary. Like, I had to do it to prove myself and to become to, you know, quote-unquote, become a writer. But what we found out
0: is that each one of us is a brain and an athlete and a basket case, a princess and a criminal. Does that answer your question? Where do you think John Hughes is in the, the great canon of films?
1: When I was trying to write the biography, I really think I was just being like, he belongs alongside Hitchcock and and every French New Wave filmmaker. And I, you know, I had all these like lofty ideas that he's just one of the great filmmakers. And that wasn't the answer. I think in time, he sort of carved out his own place as the person who I think changed the teen film. And also in, in, in a broader sense beyond film, he changed the way we talk and write about teens in a lot of ways. I don't know many Ferris Bueller's in my life, but I wish I did because I'd love to drive around in a Ferrari for a day. But I, I do think he did a good job of showing that teens are people and teens have emotion.
0: He died very young at 59 in August of 2009, and you were expecting to meet with him.
1: I feel like my, my life was a series of almost and also just like false leads when it comes to John Hughes. When he died, you know, I had I'd totally been under the impression that I was going to meet him pretty soon. If I was really going to meet him, I, I, I wasn't sure what to talk to him about because it was such a, a big buildup. It was such a huge thing to me. And finally, I, you know, when he passed away, I just sat there thinking, I'm like all these things, I have no right to want to ask, but I also was like, I am a huge fan of his work and it means so much to me. I just wish I could, t- I could have told him that to this day that's, The one thing I I wish I could have done.
0: There's still a big standard biography of John Hughes to be written. Are you the guy to do it? Ah,
1: No, I don't think so. There was a great profile written about him in Vanity Fair a year after he passed. And it's, it talks about his sons and how they're, they have all these notebooks of his. And if there's ever like a collected works of John Hughes uh, that is going to be put out into the world, I would love to somehow help work on that if I if I were given the opportunity. But besides that, um, I'm not sure the biography is my calling. It's, it's, I've, I also have read a lot of biographies since then and I realized what a, an enormous undertaking it is to actually truly write a great biography.
0: It occurs to me that movies, certainly since the 80s, have become our virtual families and our social neighborhoods, and maybe John Hughes was partly responsible for that.
1: I've thought about that, because something I talk about in the book that I've always found fascinating is that you know, Hughes' background, you know, he didn't go to film school, he came out of the advertising world, He definitely knew how to get you attached, um, which I think comes from that advertising background. He knew, I think, what pulled at people's heartstrings, because in books we read, in films we watch, if we really connect with a character or if we really connect with that story, that book or that movie becomes like part of us. Every reading I do... I, I see a good amount of people there, and you know, I, I raise, you know, I ask for questions, and people raise their hands, and you know, they start talking about what their, those movies meant to to them in in the 80s, in the 90s, in the 2000s, in the early aughts. They just start talking about their own memories with the films and their own connections, and I'm I'm just blown away by that.
0: I hope the answer to this is yes. Did you ever pull a Ferris Bueller?
1: Yes, I did. I actually pulled too many Ferris Buellers. I don't know if I pulled them off uh, the whole way through um, but I definitely, I pulled off some uh, some pretty good uh, ditch days and I also went to some Cubs games on those ditch days. I feel like I did good on those days. If you here,
0: I could you. Jason Diamond, the author of Searching for John Hughes, thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me, I really appreciate it.
0: You believe pat morrison asks is produced for the los angeles times by pat morrison it's edited and engineered by todd g levin the film clips and music are all of course from john hughes movies from universal and paramount 16 candles pretty in pink Ferris bueller's day off and the breakfast club i am pat morrison